G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. We're talking through issues today regarding human rights and what we think as Christians. So issues like the death penalty come to mind. So do other issues like uh, defying unjust laws. Or sometimes we talk about Christians and civil disobedience. You might have your own thoughts to share as we talk through some issues this hour with our special guest, Christian lawyer Mark Fowler, who's the chair of Clear International Australia. That's an organisation, a charity that's committed to improving access to justice, especially in Africa, but it's also an organisation that unites Christian law associations around Australia. We'll be talking issues of law this hour. You might have your own thoughts to contribute. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Mark Fowler, great to have you back. Welcome along. Good to be back, Neil. Good to see you again. Mark, you have been doing a little bit of travelling of late. I mentioned that Clear is involved in uh, you know, helping uh, people in Africa to access uh, legal understanding and increase that, uh, that access for people who are uh, undergoing all sorts of things in Africa. But it's not just Africa because you've come back from a visit to Myanmar just recently. That's right. Well, yes, I went at the invitation of the um, Anglican Archbishop there, Stephen Tan, and you might know um, Myanmar is a place that's opening up to concepts such as uh, the rule of law and uh, human rights and so on. And um, everyone knows the story of Aung San Suu Kyi and the democracy movement that's happening in uh, Myanmar at this time. So it was fascinating. So at that prompting, I, I went and um, was uh, having conversations with fellow Christian lawyers in Myanmar about the prospect of sending um, Australian judges and human rights academics across to do some training for judges in Myanmar. Now, this is so interesting because this issue of the rule of law, and we might be able to talk about our own Christian heritage here in Australia that dates back to uh, where that rule of law really came to the fore, back to the 13th century in England and uh, and beyond in the way that uh, different theologians have approached this. But mm. it's funny for us to think that there are countries in the world that don't have the same understanding that we do about the rule of law. This is a really, really interesting and powerful thing that you're doing when you take these uh, concepts uh, into these uh, areas where authorities are interested to hear in places mm. like Myanmar. Mm, correct. And it, it is a novel concept, actually. I mean, it's a, so to define it properly, it's, um, you take it back to the separation of powers doctrine, I think is probably where to start. Uh, so things like judicial independence. So a king cannot direct a judge to do something that is in contravention of the law of the land. So who is the ultimate source of the law? Is it the king? Or is it the law itself? These are the kind of things. And they were fought in the English courts between the Stuart kings and the likes of um, the Chief Justice Edward Cook about the uh, king giving um, Chief Justice Edward Cook the uh, direction to send members of parliament to prison and so on who were defying him. And Edward Cook uh, refused to do so. So these were fundamentals. These were fights over many centuries that laid down a lot of the... Um, the benefits and protections that we enjoy as modern Australians. 
but it did take centuries to work these things through. Some of us can reflect back on things we might have learned at school about the Magna Carta and uh, King John and and the church's role in bringing the king under the rule of law because Mm. uh, up until that time, if Mm. you were a part of the royal family, Mm. uh, you were above the law, but but that was a very important document. Yes, that's right. This was something that was novel to Christianity. You know, there was... Great statements um, in the history. I think it was Lord Bracton, was it? It said, "You sire under God and law." You know, and this is this this fight that played out over centuries, and it was no by no means a foregone conclusion in the common law that the the law would win. You know, so that might uh, would not rule over right. You know, and so I'm making the point that we it's all too glib, I think, to go into a society that hasn't had that history and say, "Look at this great tradition we've got." Let's just adopt it and go with it. Um, These are things that took centuries for us to develop and enjoy. And, of course, in light of that, uh, bringing the king under this uh, rule of law, uh, obviously a lot of theological thought went into that in the centuries beyond. Mm. And so uh, the church's contribution into what actually makes the common law or the law that governs all citizens, uh, bringing that sort of uh, equal rights, uh, equal status, uh, these human values, uh, this is a very powerful thing that's helped to form even what we have here in Australia today. Very much so, Neil. And it, look, it tracks back in many senses to Greek democracy itself, I would say. I mean, and the, I mean, they obviously had a pagan sense of religion, but they had a concept there was a natural law which the laws on earth should, um, you know, should adhere to or be consistent with. Um, they obviously, in the Greek tradition, had issues with human equality. So slavery was, um, you know, built within the system itself. So they didn't have a concept of human equality that the Christians did and brought into the mix. But certainly in the, the Mosaic tradition, there was obviously a sense that the king himself was subject to God's law. So and that plays out in common stories such as um, David's treatment of Uriah, so killing, murdering Uriah to get access to his wife, or was actually... He murdered him after the access, but in any event, the um, though Nathan then came in, I think it was the prophet Nathan, and and condemned uh, David for that, and so it was quite clear in that event. It illustrates that David himself was subject to a higher law that was God's written law. And so, in the modern context now, uh, while we think that certainly rulers of nations must understand that this is a uh, something that all humans have some level of right to. Yes. Uh, we discover nations like Myanmar, where you've been, where uh, mm. that isn't a part of their thinking. But mm. how do you go about then introducing that into the thinking about how they might actually uh, grow into a, a nation where there is rule of law? Mm. I think the answer immediately is slowly. <laughs> the, yep. uh, introducing the concept. So part of the plan <clears throat> the way that clear works in these things is we go in and we take in um, uh, judges and academics from Australia and we take the temper of the local situation, obviously, and what is uh, appropriate and helpful. And so we'll train fellow lawyers, judges, academics, and so on around concept that they want to hear upon. So it may be that a session will be offered on judicial procedure and rules of evidence and how to run a case efficiently and so on. That's the nuts and bolts of justice, uh, central to justice itself and its administration in a country. We might offer training on judicial independence. We've done that in the past in other countries, but we would be guided by the locals as to what they thought would be helpful. 
And so we're, we're partnering with Christian lawyers in that sense. And I guess in places uh, like those countries that you are visiting in Africa and there in Myanmar where you've got uh, this access, uh, people looking at Australia and saying, wow, Australia has got some things together that we don't. That's right. uh, so you must go in there with some tremendous credibility uh, to be able to talk about these types of issues. Yes, we do. I mean, we obviously we've, we've got the benefit of the common law tradition. Um, we've got democracy. Democracy itself, we tend to forget, is a fairly novel conception. I mean, in the life of my great grandmother, um, the white, the, sorry, the right for women to vote was won. Mm, you know, that's right. It's only recently we had universal suffrage, and it was really only in the nineteenth um, century that we got we de-linked the right to vote to property status. So you you made reference to the Magna Carta earlier. Uh, that was really a fight between the nobility and a king. Mm. You know, it wasn't a general document that um, advocated for democracy for all. It was made in a feudal society in which there were serfs linked to land and so on. So these processes took a long time to eke out. And I think it's it's good to be re- to be reminded that this is our generation is entirely novel, or at least the last couple of generations, of the concept that we can hand ultimate power and authority and governance to every individual above the age of 18 in our society. And so if I'm getting very religious about this, uh, having the heritage that we have in Australia, which has got a strong Christian foundation to it, and we have this wonderful uh, concept of democracy, Mm. and we have the rule of law, uh, then this responsibility that we all have within ourselves as individuals, uh, as we look and uh, have an open Bible, and as we can see, all of the concepts of freedom and, uh, you know, even freedom of speech and as you talk about the uh, the rule of law and rulers mm. coming under the rule of God, uh, our vote is very, very powerful because we have this heritage. Mm, that's correct. And one of the things that's in many senses um, one of the major focus of the Christian tradition, and if you look back to Paul and then through Augustine's interpretation of Paul in the 5th century and so on, is the is the exercise of the will, the individual will. So the informed will, convicted by the Holy Spirit, enabling the individual to act, is central to the understanding of Christian teaching. I've been reading a book recently um, um, by an Oxford professor, uh, Larry Seedentop, um, called Inventing the Individual. And actually, George Brandis, the Attorney General, got me onto it because he had read it over right. his Christmas read. It's a fantastic read. And it traces the idea of the development of the individual as the, the central element for ordering our society. And what the point he makes is that in the classical world, in the ancient Greek world, the most important uh, element in that society was the family. So everybody's individual rights were subjected to their status in the family. Okay, so the male was the dominant feature and the one who said what goes in every sense. But that then, that understanding of inequality sort of spread throughout the entire society. And so you had uh, Plato, for example, um, his philosophy was on the basis that philosophers were the only true people who had reason and access to reason, and Aristotle shared that, and everybody else didn't have the ability to reason. So we therefore had slaves. That was their natural you know, position they were born into. And so Christianity defied that through Paul, or Christ, of course, and then Augustine, because it is the individual will that is the central motivating factor within a society. So each individual and this is Seedentop's argument, in light of the last judgment, this is the teaching that the church slowly sort of eked out across the centuries, 
in response to the last judgment, we all have to provide an account. And our account comes from our individual actions and how we exercise our will in the light of God's calling and whether or not we followed the Holy Spirit. And so this was, this was novel. This is Seedentop's argument. This was novel in the history of humankind. This is what Christianity brought, equality across the board for all individuals. And that defied that classical concept of um, naturally born inequality. It's Neil with you on 2020. We're talking human rights this hour and your opportunity to be a part of our conversation. 1-800-316-316. Christian lawyer Mark Fowler is our guest. He's the chair of CLEAR. CLEAR International Australia is that organisation that has united the Christian law societies uh, throughout the states and territories uh, under this banner. And we've been talking about the Christian lawyers' ministry of mission, which is really about uh, people in Africa and We've just been hearing Mark talking about his recent visit to Myanmar and talking about issues of the rule of law and bringing some perspectives uh, in those nations. Uh, Also today we can talk about all sorts of things, uh, including the Bali Nine duo. Uh, You might like to be a part of our conversation. We can talk through issues of the death penalty and lots of other issues to do with Christians and human rights. Uh, Mark, let's take a call. Let's hear from Rosemary. Rosemary is in Melbourne. Hello, Rosemary. Welcome along to 2020. Oh, hello, Neil. Great to hear from you, Rosemary. What are your thoughts on our discussion conversation today? Um, I'm just thinking because God is a God of total love, we are to show love and kindness always too. Um, God is compassionate, abounding in love and ever merciful and he says to love him and to love others as you care about yourself. So if you would not like something done to you, you should not do that to other people either and we'll all have to give an account for ourselves when we were not kind, when we have to all stand before God. Rosemary, I think you reflect what the feelings are of so many Australians, uh, particularly when we're talking about this Bali Nine duo. Uh, we all want to see some level of mercy there and uh, and really appreciate your sentiments when you say that we ought to approach this situation uh, in love and mercy. And uh, that's my, my thoughts uh, exactly insofar as uh, the way we approach this. Of course, it is quite a divisive issue in some circles uh, within Christianity where uh, we often can look at uh, those Old test- Old Testament uh, precedents, that descriptive history, and we can see uh, that uh, there's lots of, lots of the death penalty uh, throughout the Old Testament. But uh, certainly acknowledge your remarks. Let's just hear from Mark. Mark, what are your thoughts on what Rosemary is sharing? Thanks, Rosemary, for your contribution. It's um, interesting from a legal perspective, actually. There's a bit of um, insight we can glean through this conversation we're currently having, having nationally Again, on some Christian origins of our law in Australia, we derive through the common law tradition. But um, the first thing to note is, it's interesting to note in the US, um, jails are called penitentiaries in the US. And it's not well appreciated often, I think, that the the root or the reason they're called penitentiaries is we're harking back to the medieval Catholic concept of penance. And it's interesting, um, the historical uh, position is that in the 11th century, the people often talk about the separation of church and state. 
it's not well appreciated, the first separation of church and state was actually initiated by the church. And uh, Pope Gregory and a series of other reformers in um, about the period, the mid, uh, so 1050 onwards, started drawing the church out of the state and delinking the, the church to the state, um, drawing upon some very old Roman law. But in doing so, they took the medieval feudal law and started to really promote the canon law. And there was, for the first time in the history of at least um, the Western world, there was a, a, a consistent system of law throughout Europe. It was the canon law. So the canon law was actually the first example of um, a state, in a sense. Um, and so, yeah, so to, to go on, so the, the canon law took the feudal concepts of retribution and vengeance in criminal law and also the idea that the, uh, um, the punishment should be linked to the status of the individual that was wronged. So if you offended nobility, then the punishment was greater than if you offended a noble serf, for example. So these ideas, the church started flushing out, again because of the, the impulse towards equality. But also, they brought in a new factor, so not just vengeance, not just social status, but penance. So the idea that someone could be reformed through punishment came out of the canon law. And so that then comes into our conversation today, that if you deny someone uh, their life, you deny possibly the ability to be penitent and to repent. That's a very powerful concept and, uh, of course, uh, not considered uh, that that uh, very first common law was based on canon law. And uh, canon law, of course, we're talking about church law, which is law that's based on God and his word. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosemary, thank you so much for your contribution today here on 2020. And uh, that merciful position that you take, Rosemary, uh, does appear to be a position that many churches will be taking. Uh, when it comes to these two guys, the Bali Nine duo, Myron Sukumaran and Andrew Chan. Uh, Rosemary, thank you so much for being part of 2020 today. Let's take another call. Robin is in Mount Morgan. Hello, Robin. Welcome along to yeah, 2020. Hi. hi. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been fuming over those um, two boys because um, the, the issue is not um, about what they've done or, or their rehabilitation, whatever the issue is. Um, Muslim Islam against Christianity. That's they're, they're holding them as triumph objects, just like Chappelle Corby as well. They represent the West. See the values that we um, that we have in Christianity: integrity and truth and justice. They're not they're not in um, those. I don't know about the other religions, but Islam. Islam is they don't even value integrity or truth, and so um, they hate anything of um, of the West. The other thing is. Christianity brings prosperity wherever it goes. And I, I actually had a lecturer, a university lecturer, who, used to, who even said that. He said, everywhere Christianity has gone, and he wasn't a Christian, by the way. He used to debate me all the time. But um, he said that Christianity brings prosperity in everywhere it goes. And I know that in India, the different countries you have in, or different states or whatever, there's, um, oh, what's the name of that state? Um, Kerala is a Christian state, and it's more prosperous and more... And the other thing, it's got more wholeness and whatever. And Islam is against anything that, uh, that represents the Christian West. That's prosperity, um, freedoms, the freedoms we have, entertainment, they're against that, that they um, close anything down. Like That's why they target 
um, big events where they've got a lot of crowd of people that are enjoying themselves and whatever they target those to have to set off bombs and that because they oppose anything. anything Robin, that represents- I like your sentiments. Let's hear from Mark. Mark, your thoughts on what Robin is sharing. It's interesting, Robin. I haven't actually done an analysis um, between Islamic or Christian nations and the prevalence of the death penalty in them. Um, we know that uh, the UN has called only for application of the death penalty in lethal cases, so they're essentially saying um, where someone has died. There are certainly Christian nations. For example, Kenya has the death penalty for murder and so on. So it's I haven't done the analysis, the breakdown between Islamic as opposed to Christian and, and linking what is the prevalence for the death penalty. So I'm not sure. Uh, Robin is still with us. One of those issues that you raised, Robin, which yes. uh, I haven't heard discussed anywhere in the media, uh, this fun. idea that uh, because they are being tried under an Islamic law, uh, there is a sense in which there may be a bias against these guys because yeah. uh, they have converted to Christianity or they're from a nation that is a Christian nation and therefore there's a yes. a problem there uh, just in the fact that they've come from Australia. Exactly. I really believe that it's got very little to do with their initial guilt. Now, I'm not... It's, with me, it's not an issue about um, death penalties so much. I mean, I, I really believe there are sometimes where where that where it is justified so that's not my argument but i just know that the i've, I've done a lot of study on this um i've um i've studied with um you know um uh, daniel daniel scott um the quran and stuff like that and i see it over and over and over again their triumph they want to triumph against the west that ralph or whatever his name is that wanted to build that mosque uh, near the um the, the two towers that came down in new york that, you know, he was saying in, in English to everybody, oh, you know, we, we only want to do it for peaceful means and to, to have a place where everybody can come and enjoy themselves, blah, blah, blah. But in, in Arabic or whatever his language was, he was saying something else because it was their triumph. They want to set, they want to set up a, a, um, a monument whenever they've triumphed over the West. And those two towers, that's what it represented to the Muslims, was if they have a Muslim mosque, um, as close as possible to those twin towers, it was a what's the name of triumph, and it was the same with Chappelle Corby because she was attractive. She represented more the West than than just anything, and they consider it a prize. And I feel the same way with these two boys, especially because they rehabilitated so well. They 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 just hold it up as it's almost like they laugh at us. Ha ha! We've got one of yours. Ha! See, you know you we've. They're in our hands now. There's nothing you can do, and we're gonna we're gonna keep and we're gonna do what we want want to do. Okay, Robin. Thank you so much yeah. for your thoughts today. Great to have you as part of 2020. Uh, any more to add to uh, what Robin is saying there, Mark? No, thanks. Okay, Robin. Thanks so much for your uh, time today here on 2020. Our talkback line is open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You can be a part of our conversation. What are your thoughts? Perhaps you'd like to comment on the death penalty. Uh, you might like to comment too on what we've been talking about, this rule of law and a little bit of a history lesson there from Mark Fowler, a Christian lawyer, the chair of Clear International Australia, talking about the rule of law and uh, that rule of law that exists here in Australia and uh, how there are countries around the world that do not have 
the same rule of law. And where there is the rule of law in some countries, uh, we can talk some more about this too. But uh, those rule of law foundations may not necessarily be Christian. Uh, We have those Christian foundations here in Australia. It's Neil with you on 2020. We're talking human rights and being a Christian this hour. Christian lawyer Mark Fowler is our guest. Mark heads up the Clear International Australia organisation. It's a charity that's committed to improving access to justice in lands like Africa. And we've heard of Mark's recent visit to Myanmar, uh, where people are interested in the way we do law here in Australia. And of course, we've been discussing the Christian foundations of our legal system here and just how good our legal system is compared to some countries in the world that don't have this same heritage that we have here in Australia. Uh, Mark, we've been talking about the death penalty, inviting people to be participants in our conversation. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to have your say, we're talking about the death penalty. Uh, Mark, the simplest question on this, and one that we have been discussing a little here on 2020 over the previous weeks is uh, what is a good Christian position when it comes to the death penalty? Uh, Is it on the the side of uh, leniency, uh, clemency, mercy uh, for people who are suffering and uh, facing uh, the firing squad or whatever other form of death penalty and not just Mm -hmm. referring just to these guys uh, in Bali? Or is it uh, that uh, the death penalty is a relevant form of uh, punishment for someone who has committed a heinous crime? Mm. Okay, thanks, Neil. I mean, obviously there is a number of um, biblical texts in the Old Testament supporting the death penalty, and there's um, 36 offences that carry the death penalty in the Old Testament under Mosaic law. Of course, from a theological perspective, through the birth and uh, death and resurrection of Christ, we have a new law, a new commandment, and so on. And so we place the Mosaic law in that context. And I I can't remember the theologian, but you see the Mosaic law through the prism of the New Testament, as it were. Um, The other dynamic in this is that we're not a theocracy, so we don't necessarily implant Mosaic law into our society and then immediately, as a result, uh, adopt the death penalty. Um, There's a couple of sort of gospel conversations around this, I guess, and we were touching upon one earlier and we said that there is a role for penance. So if someone's in jail, the hope that we hold out is that they may meet the risen Lord and may have an opportunity to consider his claims on their lives and therefore accept salvation through him. That is something um, you know, that, we, that we obviously, in a sense, um, is available to all of us, and we have that time on earth to consider that. So to take someone's time away, arguably, takes away that possibility that they might consider his claims. That's one of the concerns I've got with the death penalty. Although there's something, uh, there's an old saying that I sometimes refer to in this sort of thing. Uh, There's an old saying that says, uh, there are no atheists in foxholes. Uh, The same saying in a different context is that there are no atheists on death row. Mm. And the idea of a prisoner being on death row uh, with the thought that you are taking away their opportunity to repent, mm. uh, actually brings forward the challenge of repentance because if you are facing the firing squad tomorrow, mm. uh, you are thinking about eternity today. Mm. And if you have uh, something to hold on to with this message of the gospel, you are going to be thinking very seriously about what eternity holds for you. Mm. Correct, yeah. And so these are matters between the individual and God as to when he allows for that conviction. I, I do take the argument that that would then uh, certainly crystallise the issue. 
for you if you're um if you're facing the death penalty. Um, there's a couple of more um I guess uh, scientific concerns around the death penalty as well. There's there's an ongoing debate as to whether or not it actually plays a deterrent role. Obviously, those in support of the death penalty that's one of the major things that there will be less crime as a result of this. Um, and so there's been studies looking at um, the Singaporean case as opposed to the uh, Indonesian case. And so it seems to be either the part of the problem is that you've got nothing to compare against. So how do you compare the society without the death penalty in that particular instance? So it is difficult to prove the deterrent effect um, So at a, at a more scientific level. And then there's also the, it's interesting to note, the Catholic Church uh, position, John Paul II, came out and I think had a change of heart on the death penalty um, after becoming aware of the circumstances around the individual and the um, his life was told in the movie Dead Man Walking. I remember his name. But the Catholic Church changed its position and it, it um, basically the thinking was that in order to support ideas of the common good and the dignity of the individual, the death penalty in most modern societies, because there is an ability to prevent crime through other means, and because we can incarcerate people safely for long periods of time, that the death penalty is no longer consistent with fundamental conceptions of the dignity of the individual. Let's talk about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth for a moment, because that's really the concept of the Old Testament that we understand. Uh, And really, as you mentioned, there are so many different uh, crimes in the Old Testament that were uh, met with the death penalty because there was a sense in which uh, if you were going to take someone's life away, you deserve to have your own life taken away as well. Mm. Uh, When we talk about those foundations that we might have in Australia and uh, the common law under the rule of law, uh, we can see in our own Christian heritage as to why we might not have those things all caught up in our law. But under Islamic law, they're still working on this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So when you said you hadn't looked into the number of Islamic countries that have got this death penalty in place, Mm. one might assume that given that's still very much a part of their concept of justice, that uh, many of those countries, uh, like Indonesia, uh, might have that as really a very firm part of how they might approach uh, issues like uh, these two guys, the Bali Nine duo. Mm, interesting. I did, as I said, I haven't done the analysis, but I noticed that Joko Widodo has been out in the press He's um, in the last couple of days, so he's getting a lot of support within Indonesia over this issue. So there's political dynamics to it as well. Um, but he did come out and say it's something we could look at, uh, revoking the death penalty um, in the law. It wouldn't affect Andrew Chan and Myron Sukumaran um, and his consideration. But he's saying it's something that he would consider. Interesting. So it may be a debate that they'll have in Indonesia mm. uh, because it seems to me, in my assessment of what I've been seeing, hearing, uh, reading about this, that uh, that Joko Widodo is uh, is bent on mm. uh, you know coming more strongly against uh, these sorts of crimes and enforcing the death penalty, whereas Susilo mm. Bambang Yudhoyono, his predecessor, mm. uh, was quite soft and uh, was quite gentle and was, you know, less inclined to enforce mm. the law with an iron hand. Mm, that's right. There's, there's been a number of foreign nationals, Brazil included as well, and the Netherlands and so on, um, persons who have been put to death in Indonesia. There's quite a number of Indonesians, obviously, also um, facing the death penalty for similar charges uh, and have suffered the death penalty. Um, so it is, you know, 
It's it's interesting. There are political dynamics in place, and I I note that the recent appeal is actually targeting Joko Widodo. Um, so the argument that's been run at the moment by Andrew Chen and Myron Sukumaran's lawyers is that Joko Widodo, when he came out and said there will be no clemency, I will deal with all of these cases the same, he refused to actually apply discretion and consider the individual cases. And this is what's been contested. Um, so it's interesting. There was a, a similar case in the refugee matter um, recently concerning Scott Morrison. Um where um, the High Court upheld on behalf of a refugee, this was uh, in January, um, that Scott Morrison had refused to actually consider the factors of the refugees' case in determining um, their application because he had said publicly there will be no one allowed in. That's almost the the parallel between the two is very, very uh, interesting. Um, And the High Court upheld the refugee, saying that the minister didn't exercise discretion according to the law, and then stepped into the shoes of the minister and made the decision for him and allowed the appeal on behalf of the refugee. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Australia's Vision Radio Network. It's Neil with you. We're talking through issues of human rights this hour. Our special guest is Christian lawyer Mark Fowler. Mark, let's move on to a different type of uh, a context in which we'll uh, we'll frame some discussion now, and that is uh, with this idea of civil disobedience. Uh, civil disobedience is one of those issues that I've been hearing in a number of different contexts now. People are talking about it more and more. Mm. Uh, the idea that if there is an unjust law, uh, that somehow or other Christians need to be empowered or enabled to be able to say, well, before God, I disagree with that, and therefore mm. I should protest it. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts on this issue of civil disobedience? Yeah, I've had a, um, two uh, recent occasions to be considering this, actually. I was talking with the dean of the cathedral. He'd be happy for me to say this, of course, because it's all public, but um, here in Brisbane, uh, Peter Catt recently, and uh, he and uh, a few others on the refugee, the church's refugee uh, task, for, task force, um, occupied, uh, in his case, Brandis's electoral office, and then there were a few others um, also occupied the office in uh, Canberra. And they sat there for the entire day, and the police came along and, and said, what are your intentions? Do you intend to stay? And they said, yes, we intend to stay. And, and so the day went on, and um, then anyway, at five o'clock, they came to lock up the doors, and they said, do you intend to stay? And uh, and they said, yes, we do. And he said, well, we place you under arrest. And so once that was done, they had to follow them out of the, and so on. So it was all, you know, so, and it was obviously in, in defiance of the, um, the refugee policy. Uh, that's what the message that was being communicated. So they're all technically placed under arrest, but I think the outcome was that they were, um, and the arrest was lifted or whatever. So, um, so, and I don't even think they were taken down to the watch house or anything like that. But so we were talking about this the other day, and it's interesting, um, Stepping back to, again, this conversation on natural law, uh, Augustine said, uh, lex injusta non est lex, which means, translated from Latin, means uh, unjust law is no law. And so what he was saying was that there is a divine higher law where if there is a conflict between the divine higher law and human-made law, Christians have a conscience obligation to follow their conscience and break the law. And... uh, his, his thinking is that you know, along the lines of natural law, that there is this God-made law that underpins the universe and to defy that and to require someone to defy it, def, sorry, to defy it um, affects the conscience. 
I had, um, I can recall a, a discussion I had in an Asian country. I won't go into which, but the Asian in that particular Asian country, there was a contemplation of laws where if someone changed religion, it required state consent. And so it was asked of me, do we have to comply with this? Will we have to go to the court when our friend converts to Christianity? Or what do we do? And so we had a long discussion around the requirements of what the Bible says about this. And um, it was quoted to me, I think it's Romans 11, where Paul says that you must obey the law of the land because the law is instituted for the good of the commonweal, the, the, um, of the, uh, the people itself. And so how I put it to people was that, yes, we have Paul's clear injunction there, but note that the injunction is on the basis that the powers that be are there to provide public safety and good. So that's the kind of how um, Paul coaches it or couches it. Then we so if that's at one end of a, a biblical spectrum of comment on this, at the other end is Daniel, who, in uh, when he's faced with a law that says you must pray only to me, the the power at that time, um, he defied that deliberately in full knowledge that it was defiance of the law. So obviously, from a theological perspective, Christians do have authority for defying law that offends the conscience. So the question really ultimately then is, for the individual to weigh, what defies my conscience? And so obviously those that um, occupied George Brandis' office felt that the current law in Australia offends their conscience to that level. They would maintain some form of civil protest. I suspect that ordinary Christians listening into our conversation might be thinking, well, you know, I would be prepared to stand up for Christ, uh, for God's law. I would be prepared to be civilly disobedient. But I suspect uh, encouragement for people to do that on their own uh, might be something that uh, could be uh, premature. And somehow or other, we rely on the leaders of our churches to actually uh, make that sort of discerning judgment as to whether this is a law that should be uh, broken. This is a law that uh, you know people should be di- uh, civilly disobedient. Uh, I-, I suspect that we need to look at leaders and see what they're doing and follow the leader. Mm, correct, that's right. And, and obviously, you know, there's a matter of of listening to those that are theologically trained. There's also it is you that makes the call at the end of the day. You as the individual. So if you're even if your leader is not taking a line that accords with your conscience, your role is to read the word and inform your conscience. We are taking calls 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line is open. Let's take a call from Nick in Melbourne. Hello, Nick. You've been listening to our conversation. What are your thoughts? Uh, yes, I, I did uh, listen to your conversation and, uh, as a Christian and uh, as a Christian that, that, that I come from communist country, uh, I know that the, that these people are ignoring Bible, but uh, because we Christian every day practice the Bible, and right now we have uh, all around the world ten days of prayer. We praying for these people that uh, Lord God touch their heart, and that they understand that that the God is God of love and uh, forgiving. And as much as we Christian, uh, we forgiving and we forget because only only forget not forgiving is not 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 uh, right thing. Uh, these people and uh, few another that was already killed 
in Indonesia or some other country, uh, yes, they, they, they did commit crime, but as our president, our head of, of the uh, our Australian president, Tony Abbott, said yesterday, yes, they deserve punishment, but not to be killed, because even even Islamic Islam if, if, if means humble, Islam means peaceful, does not mean to kill. In the Bible, as much as in Quran, that was rewritten or translated or rewritten, I should say, in seventh century. Uh, it's uh, just um, uh, trans a translation of the Bible and modified it. Uh, and they are also said as much as in the Bible, if you capture someone's, uh, if you capture enemy's uh, soldier, enemy, you you feed him and and uh, let him go. Does not say kill him. So, Nick, let's hear from Mark. Mark, your thoughts on some of the things that Nick is sharing there. I think that's certainly consistent with what we've been saying, that um, to not assert the death penalty then allows people that time to consider the consequences of their actions and express repentance over them. Mm. Nick, you said you come from a communist country background. Uh, what was your uh, experience or your thoughts uh, from when you were under that communist rule with regard to the death penalty in those countries? Right. At that time, I was very young and uh, and uh, I heard from people that... that uh, uh, they 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 say that communists kill a lot of a lot of innocent people because they they want to they are, they, they are in the first place they are Christian they want to to uh, uh, read and and study Bible they want Christianity in the country and that that was not right but as we saw uh, 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 these people are gone. This era of of communism is gone. It is, Nick. If you don't mind me asking, which is your country of heritage? My country is Serbia, Yugoslavia. Yes. Okay. Uh, your, any further thoughts, Mark, on uh, these things that Nick's sharing? Uh, Nick, I'm wondering, were you a person of Christian Some faith? That the president of Indonesia, Nick, uh, Nick, Nick, uh, you are Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. And you were during your time in Serbia. Uh, I was Christian in Serbia too. Mm. In Serbia, we have Orthodox, we have Catholic, we have all, all sort of Christians. Mm. And uh, as a Christian, I do believe that that is wrong. And this thing that they do could trigger much, much, um, uh, could trigger another thing, you know, because we help Indonesia, as as the president said, with billion, one billion, and we do love Indonesian people, but we ask them, for mercy. Nick, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. And uh, Mark, just picking up on this, because while we're reflecting on differences that there might be in cultures uh, from Islamic culture that might guide the court system there in Bali for these two, uh, the Bali Nine duo, uh, bringing into the mix here, we're talking about communist culture and uh, Serbia from those dark years gone by. Uh, you know, communism is a godless 
uh, philosophy. And, uh, mm. of course, uh, mm. you might expect that there'd be killing under communism. Mm. Uh, when we bring in Australian uh, heritage, our Christian foundations, our common law, the rule of law, uh, really it stands in stark contrast to some of these other political philosophies. Mm, that's right. And again, just how hard won these things were over time. And you couldn't give a better example, Nick, um, you know, of, of the need to defy a state law. You know, so Brother Andrew and so on, smuggling in Bibles. My own, uh, I've had family members that have been smuggling Bibles to communist countries. And this, in that sense, lex injusta non est lex. Unjust laws are not just. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of uh, there's lots of examples like that, isn't there? The smuggling of Bibles. Uh, there's mm. other issues too. I mean, there are Christians who'll stand out on the streets protesting uh, abortion issues. Uh, mm. They're also uh, uh, committing uh, this level of civil disobedience because they believe those laws uh, that are in place in the nation are wrong according to the way we would look at the Bible. Mm. Uh, there's lots of reasons why people might get to a point where they'd exercise civil disobedience. I mm. suspect, though, uh, sometimes we feel as though, uh, as Christians, as you were saying a little earlier, Mark, you know, the Scripture says, you know, we should obey the laws of our civil society. Mm. Uh, right. And so while we look at those, we say, well, at what point do we actually make a change and actually take action? Mm. What are your That's thoughts? Right. Look, and it's interesting to note the uh, what's common between the story of Daniel and what Paul says in Romans 11, that... Uh, Daniel was obviously a man who was within a mystical tradition. He was actually trained in the ways of the the philosophers of uh, Babylon and so on. Um, But he was there to bless his community, and he was a major blessing. Um, So he was salt within that community, and that's consistent with what Paul also says in Romans 11, that the point of the authorities is to provide a safe society in which the gospel can go forward. And so Christians are that salt and light. Mark, running short of time, I want to just spend a few moments talking about CLEAR. This is the charity organisation that you are at the head of. Uh, You've got a few events and things coming up, and and how can lawyers uh, get in touch with you and connect with you in a special way? Sure, thanks, Neil. You can look, the easiest way is to get a hold of our website, which is www.clear.org.au. Also, like us on Facebook, and you'll follow all the goings on there. Uh, coming events are our mission trip. We've got a mission trip of lawyers and uh, law students going to Kenya and Uganda uh, in mid-April, and they'll go through and train um, on things such as criminal procedure and um, and the laws within prisons, or they might go to a remote community and teach about child labour law or something similar uh, to that. So um, you can follow all the travels and the goings-on and consider going on one of those mission trips by going to our website. Uh, we've got a couple of events coming up where um, we're uh, doing a Christian uh, Careers Expo event with uh, Christian Schools Australia and Associated Christian Schools. We'll have to point people to the website, uh, clear.org.au, to get some details about those. Mark Fowler, it has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for sharing these insights with us today here on 2020. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.